This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings, this is Jay Douglas Barker, and today on Author House, we'll be visiting with author Aniska Silestine and discussing her book, Universally Foreign. Well, welcome, Aniska. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you here. On the back of your book, you wrote this descriptive. Universally Foreign is a collection of writings from my experiences and growing up with parents that experienced the civil rights movement and the understanding the phrase, it takes an entire village to raise a child. How would you describe your book? Is it prose or poetry or is it both? It's both. It's it's just a bunch of thoughts put on paper. I tried to make it sound as best as I can, and that's what I've come up with. Now, did you initially intend this to be a a written book? Um, It was originally just a journal, journal entries. Um, The way I express myself, I'm not a very big talker. So I would, everything that I felt, I would just write it down. And um, after my mom had read some of my uh, journal entries, she said, you should, this is poetry, you should do a book. So that's how it came about. Well, that's excellent. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your family history. I know that you mentioned that your family grew up during the civil rights movement era, and that was certainly a challenging time for anybody that was uh, living in the United States. Tell us a little bit about your history and uh, where you are today. Um, Well, I grew up in the rural South where people pretend that there's not um, racial tension, but it still is. Um, I can remember as early as third grade, being called um, some very racial slurs as a child by adults. So um, it shaped who I am and made me a stronger person. Um, Had it not been for my parents experiencing what they had uh, during the civil rights movement, I think I would have become a bitter or a very different person than I am today. Um, I'm very aware of my surroundings um, in in a sense and who I am as a person in this wonderful country that we live in. And so um, my childhood has been great. It's been challenging, but it has been very great. It sounds like you've taken some negatives that uh, could have shaped you in the wrong direction and made them a positive. Yes, I have. Um, It took some time to do that because I didn't understand a lot of things, even in my teenage years, not understanding um, why people felt a certain way and we were I was taught brought up to love everybody, so um the hurt said we had become little stepping stones to make me the person that I am today wonderful well, I grew up in the north, so i was I'm a Canadian, and in the town that I lived in, one of my best friends happened to be a, a young man of color, and uh there was only one family in that town of sixty thousand so it was it, the the challenges for them was not the same as it it was in the south and I remember going to visit friends in Florida who owned businesses. And, and uh, as a uh, young adult in high school, junior high school age, seeing some things that I didn't understand and why there was a separation between people and why there was not love between all of the uh, cultures was challenging even to me. It was a challenge even for a young teenager to see the discrimination that was taking place back in the 60s and it was uh, a challenging time. Why do you feel your, your book is more interesting to others or what would you say about your book that might make it stand out from others? Um, I think my book is it 
it focuses on things that people generally don't talk about. Um, our society has changed so much in the past 20 years that people, um, the way we learn, the way we handle each other socially has changed. People are more clothed and technology has taken um taking the place of face-to-face relationships, friendships. And I think um, some of my writings focus on that and just tries to help us bring it all back um, to the forefront, how to deal with people, what um, is culturally acceptable. And um, I touched on a little bit on one of my uh, writings on Universally Foreign, just how some people of um, the younger generation don't understand what um, certain terms mean, like Geronimo, and um, they use it as when they jump off a diving board or off of a cliff as a word to say, yes, I did it, but who those who Geronimo really is and what he meant to our culture. Um, just things like that that we tend to look over every day. Right. Well, you're, you're, you're focusing on the sensitivities that people need to focus on, it sounds like. Yes. How would you introduce your book to a friend or in a sentence or two? What If you were uh, meeting someone for the first time and they said, oh, I understand you're an author. Uh, tell me about your book. What would you say about it? I would have to say that um, my book is who I am. If you want to get to know me in a short little time, just read this. And this is exactly who I am, what I think, my views on, on life. Very good. Well, I, I see one of the topics or one of the pieces that you've written is called The Sin of Church Folk. That sounds like a provocative title. What is that all about? <laughs> um, growing up in the South, many um, African-Americans were go to church on a regular basis. Um, it's, it's just a part of who we are. And the church is another social structure that has um it's becoming completely different from what it, it was when I was growing up. There's a lot of judgmental attitudes. And I just, I tried to touch on that a little bit without getting too deep into it. <laughs> I don't want to step on any toes, but just um, pulling out into the light some things that I had to deal with. For one, just wearing pants and growing up, not being, um, growing up Pentecostal and not being wearing, being able to wear pants because mm-hmm. just the way that it was perceived in the Bible. So uh, it's just a little, little things I'm trying to bring into the light to get people to, you know, to know this is who we are. God has made us all different. So let's just accept who we are. That's a great, that's a great thought. Uh, one of your poems that I uh, pulled out, it's a short one because I have a short attention span, so it was called <laughs> You Make Me Giddy, and I just thought I might read it, and I'm sure you remember it, but our listeners have not heard it, so I'll read it for you. You make me giddy over you, smiling so hard that my cheeks hurt, butterflies all down on the inside of my tummy. Yes, you make me giddy over you, hoping you never hear me giggle at just the thought of the things you do when it's just me and you in conversation in the car or at the park or wherever we are. I don't call it love, maybe infatuation. No, I'm just giddy over you. I think just about everyone can relate to that. Thank you. You have some others here about religion and faith. It's never been about you in a house unwanted. That one sounds provocative. What is that topic about? 
Um, it was in a time of my life where I just felt displaced. Um, I really didn't feel like I had a purpose. And, and the house unwanted just really told my feelings. I didn't feel loved by anyone at the time. Um, I had friends that didn't really know me. Um, and it was just, it was a hard place for me at that time. And I just wrote it out in, in perspective. The world, the area that I lived in at that time, I didn't feel, I was in my house, my body, and I felt unwanted. And um, I tried to script that out to, just in case someone else was going through the same thing, to know that, you know, it's okay to be who you are. And if you're not accepted completely for your thought or for the things that you, your actions, that it's okay to live in a house unwanted, but you have to want yourself. Overall, you have to love yourself. Absolutely a strong and powerful statement. Now, what one thing would you like readers to take away from this work? Everything that I wrote is, is completely about my, my walk in life. Uh, every step that I've taken, it's not been a hard one. Every step has not been hard. Most of them have. And um, I just want them to know that if you're walking through something in life and it's challenging just to keep walking because the steps further ahead get you out of the valley and onto the mountaintop and um, you'll have that joy that you've been looking for or that you've created to, to live in. Well, if I was in church, I'd say preach it, preach on. <laughs> Tell me how your book is unlike others in the prose and poetry area. What sets it apart from the crowd? I... I feel like I'm a non-traditional poet. A lot of my things are not um, in the rhyme and rhythm sense of poetry. Mm-hmm. And it's not all political as some poets are today and not as, I guess, straightforward in your face. A lot of it makes you think. It's, it's just a very vast collection of things that maybe everyone has gone through, but can't verbalize. So um, I think that my poetry and prose is just a collection of writings that will have you saying, oh, I've been through that. I can identify with it. And if I haven't, this is something I could think about. When did you start journaling your thoughts and your feelings? At what age? At least 10. Really? 10 Um, years old? Yeah. It's been a while. And some of the, some of it, that I wrote in universally foreign. Um, I tagged onto it in my earlier years. I mean, in my later years. Um, but it's been it's been a while. It's been a, um, since I was since I was young that I've been writing. Are some of those younger thoughts included in this work? They are. Any particular title that you remember from the earlier days? Missing you. It's Missing you. About the death of my grandfather. Missing your love. Um, I should say. And my grandfather died, passed away when I was eight years old, and we were very close. He was like a father. He, he raised me because my father always worked um, away offshore. So um, that was a real difficult time in my life, and I actually had stopped speaking and um, just communicating with people for a while. And mm. when I got back, I, that's when I began my writing. It, it was about two-year period that uh, that. It seemed like life had stopped for me. So that was just in memory of him. And I had written some things um, when I was young, much younger. And when I found them, 
um, after I moved out of my parents' home after college, I um, just tagged on to it and just was able to express that uh, sentiment I had for my grandfather then. Well, that's a beautiful memory to be able to look back and honor someone in that, that regard and have it in writing for others to enjoy as well. That's uh, that's marvelous. Are you still journaling? Are you still writing the same way you did as uh, even as a child? I think it's changed a little. Um, poetry and journaling now for me is usually when I'm in a slump or, I mean, it's an, it goes in extremes of my emotions. I think I tend to write better when I'm extremely happy or I can't find the words because I'm upset or um, sad. So it's it's in between those that I, I could write my best. I am writing other things with friend with a friend. We're writing a children's book at this time. But yeah, my poetry and prose is usually at an emotional highs and lows for me. I think most writers kind of run the gamut. Also, musicians tend to do the same thing. Uh, what was the most mm-hmm. challenging part about writing this book? The most fun that you had, also. The most challenging part for me was um, I wrote a couple of uh, works about. Um, just horrible events in my life and my brother and um, a sister also asked me to to write something for them so I combined it and that's collateral damage and it, that was the hardest thing um, reliving those memories um, my sister was um, um, affected with domestic violence and my brother was incarcerated so just putting that all into words all of those emotions was it was really hard even just thinking about it those emotions right now is um, kind of choking me up but i would have to say the high um would be the ones where i'm like okay this is who i am it's all about me no matter what you think your opinion isn't valid right now it's it's all about me and i'm happy i'm at peace with myself no matter what i do or say i'm at peace with who i am right now so it's um i think in my writing you can feel where i'm really low or really um going through a very hard struggle or i'm at the mountaintop where everything is flowing good and my life is great that's been very enlightening to hear of your journey in writing this book and how it's a personal journey and one that certainly draws from the emotions of the past and the present and hopefully the future as well we certainly wish you well and wish you a life full of joy in your future we've been visiting with aniska celestine and talking about her book and a lot of personal reflections from universally foreign i really appreciate your visiting with us today aniska Thank you so much. Thank you. Where can we obtain your book? Um, AuthorHouse.com, and you could also visit me on Facebook and Twitter, and we could um, get that out to you. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing your insight. We look forward to hearing of maybe other works in the future, and maybe that children's book will be something we'll be able to talk about uh, uh, at some point. Uh, for Author House, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station.
Yes, why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Girlfriend It is on Togginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to mm-hmm. have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back. To Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings, this is J. Douglas Barker, and today on Author House, we'll be visiting with author Lucy Dunblunt to discuss her book, I Love You Greater Than Space. That's right. Welcome, Lucy. <laughs> How are you? Glad Do- to be here today. Doing great. And I noticed in the preface of your book, it says, for months I'd sensed a pressing of my spirit to publish old writings in book form. And then I asked why? the question, why? Right, right. I think sometimes, you know, the spirit just does press on you. <laughs> and uh, these writings that I did 10 years ago, um, they were involved. It's, the book has three parts. Uh, two parts, the first and the and the last part are in, in poetry, and they're dealing the first with a courtship with my late husband. We were in marriage in 623 days, and the mm. last part is about he died of a massive heart attack, and the middle is for my grandchildren with wonderful illustrations. But your question of why now, I think that there's a need. Um, you know, there, there are people that are hurting and in situations and circumstances that just need a little encouragement, especially with the loss of of a loved one. So it just seems like this is the right time. Uh, so I had to pay attention to that pressing on my spirit, and the book came forth. Well, I'm sure a lot of people will be very pleased that you did so. Uh, oh, I personally have lost, had four, uh, two family members and uh, two close friends that died within the last six months. So it's been a oh, very challenging time. And you, you get to a point where you recognize that there's no way as a human you have control over that, but right, as a person right, with right. a spirit. But our Lord is there with Absolutely. us all the way through it. And I, I think one of the really important parts of, of this book is the middle part. Um, I have 11 grandchildren, and they call me Goo Goo. <laughs> I am very blessed. But for a lot of my grandchildren, it was the first loss that they had experienced. And so it really was important to me as a grandmama to help them deal with um, the death of Duncan. So I wrote a children's story in the middle of it, and my wonderful friend Mary Barwick, who has written about four or five books herself and illustrated them, 
she did the illustrations, and they're bright colored, light colored. And I think that book, that part of the book alone, you could sit down with a grandchild and read it out loud to them and open that door of conversation, of a healing conversation, talking about death and how the Lord is there and handles and takes care of everyone. So this this book actually is a combination of autobiographical commentary and uh, everything. And everything I write is uh, totally personal. Um, how it all started was my goodness. About twenty years ago, um, I started a Bible study, and I would write everybody in the group an individual letter each week, just of encouragement. And within like three weeks, we grew to three Bible studies instead of one. And I was just trying to write everybody. And I remember I put my pen down and said, Lord, I can't do this. And my goodness gracious, <laughs> when we do that, what happens? We surrender and realize, you know, who can do it only is our Lord. And so the idea came to write just one letter a week and Xerox it. And I did that, and that became the first book of 70 letters. And that was Letters to the Precious Group. And uh so that's what I mainly do is I've written three uh, books prior that's really made up of letters. And as I mentioned when we were talking earlier, I've got a radio program, a five-day-a-week radio program called Living Treasure with Lucy McLeod. But again, it's that old-fashioned letter, like from a grandmother, of encouragement. I'm sorry with the modern world that, <laughs> you know, those letter writers, you don't see that as much. I can picture my grandmother's handwriting and grandfather's and something about a handwritten letter. Uh, I've been sending them out 800 and something handwritten uh, all over the world, actually, for the last about 10 years. Amazing. Uh, again, and handwritten, So uh, because I somehow it's more personal to get, and I put little hearts around each person's name, and I hand address. And my children, I've got four children, they say, why, Mom, don't you get stickers and stick that on the envelope? Mm. I say, no, you know, I think it's important to have the old-fashioned handwritten address with little hearts around, you know, to say, you know, you are loved, even by somebody you don't even know, and who loves you is the Lord. So well, that's, a, I'm that's kind of old-fashioned. <laughs> that's certainly a lost art, and, and uh, absolutely uh, <laughs> you know, uh, refreshing that you're able to, to continue that I, trend. I enjoy doing that. Thank you. Well, who do you think this book will appeal to, and uh, Why? Oh, my goodness. I think it, the audience is anyone, uh, any age, any stage. I think part of the human condition is um, the wonderful gift of love, and with love comes often loss, um, whether, you know, and I'm, it's sad, you know, that now that there are so many that have lost with divorce or, you know, with death, and also even just moving. I think we're such a transient world. So I think it can appeal to anyone so that any of those times in your life when you kind of sense you are alone or handling situations alone, the reality is, as Christians, we know we are never alone, and our Lord is there to comfort and console, and uh, and the community of, of Christians, I think that is also how we are uplifted. So that's what I hope this book does. Oh, excellent. And the title is kind of unique. I love you greater than space. <laughs> How did that it. come about? Oh, <laughs> I love you greater than space. And where that came from was my, at that time, four-year-old grandson, <laughs> mm. Judd. 
and he uh, called his goo-goo. I was putting him to bed one night, and it was right after my uh, late husband had died, and so I was really, you know, a very vulnerable time. And here this precious little four-year-old gave me a big old hug, and he said, I love you greater than space. Wonderful. And why I love that is the reality is our Father God loves us greater than space. There is nothing that can block his love. So that's the celebration of this whole book. That's that's an excellent story. I'm glad to hear that. That's uh, uh, my my grandkids. <laughs> Out of the mouths of yep, children, they're amazing. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, there are other yeah. probably other books in the marketplace that deal with right, this topic. Right. But yours seems to be a little bit different. Uh, why would yes. you say? What is it that sets your book apart? Well, I think being uh, three parts. That the first part. And the third part are um, in haiku poetry, which, if some people don't know, is um, five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables. And why I did that is there's so much emotion, I think, when your heart's been ripped or when also you're in the beginning part when it's the whole love story that uh, to limit those words in that form, I think it makes it even more powerful. And so I think that is different. I think having the middle part is really different with that children's story. And we all are children. I love Madeline Lingle. I got to go to a, a course that she taught at Keeble College in Oxford of, um, of creative writing. You know, And she said any children's book is a, also appropriately a wonderful adult book. So I think the middle part is just as much um, stronger that we sometimes need to play like that we're that child and crawl up in our Abba Father's lap and let him just love us. So I think the middle part is just as meaningful, even more so because of the wonderful illustrations, just to be reminded of his love. Well, those are spectacular illustrations. And, oh, and they are. Other they than are the, like the why you did it, I'm kind of curious as to, as to the how you did that. I, that's a, that's amazing feat in itself. Oh, well, that was so much fun. With uh, My late husband, he was um, an Oxford Don Englishman. He taught American history, and we had these rules. We got married two months after our first date, went on a honeymoon in Paris, and his love healed me. I was a wounded divorcee, and he was a wounded. His first wife had died of cancer, so we were both so wounded, and this love, we were like two children, so... Um, you know, I think, you know, that was what was going on. But we had some rules from day one, which was you could only spend $20 on a present. Mm. And uh, so what I would do is every single time we had anything going, I would write in this red book, handwrite poetry to him. So when we got married um, in Whitney, England, uh, my gift to him was the poem that's in this book, and it says, you know, on our honeymoon. I mean, not on our honeymoon, it says the day of our wedding. And then after our honeymoon, I wrote, you know, a poem. And when we went skiing, I would write a poem and for his birthday. So that handwritten uh, book, and that makes it even sweeter for me, too, because it was the gift I had given him. And then it was so interesting that after he died, uh, and all the emotions with grieving, I continued that process of writing, almost as if I was writing those poems again to him, you know, of that I'm going to make it because of our Lord, you know. And so they are grieving but hopeful even in those poems. Oh, that's beautiful. Was that the most challenging part about writing this book, or was it reflecting back on your life? 
Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, I see my writing as a gift from the Lord. Um, and I think also we um, are never alone. So I think, you know, and I mentioned that I've got this radio program, which is every day you get a, um, an old-fashioned letter that I read out loud in Scripture at the end. Of course, that's the most important thing. So every time I've ever written, um, it's always in community. So whether I am writing, you know, the first part was specifically to Duncan, that they were going specifically to him. But then the last part, I am specifically, you know, talking to a broader group that that knew him, that were grieving too, you know, that wanted me to be doing okay. So I think to be able to write in community um, and also prayerfully to the to the glory of God, that helps with the writing. Excellent. Well, I noticed in your synopsis of the book you have three yes. parts. Right. And uh, what are those three parts? Recap that for our listeners. Well, so the first part, which is in haiku poetry, that is our uh, dating and our marriage and those 623 days that we were married before mm. he died. And then uh, the last part is after he has died and the whole process of um, my going through that morning stage and how the Lord just held me up. And then the middle part, again, is the children's story with the wonderful illustrations, um, just helping a child uh, deal with death. So I really think, you know, <laughs> it's good for an adult to buy the book and read it all the way through to help them deal with whatever loss they're experiencing. But then to be able to get that same book and open it up in the middle and read it to their children or their grandchildren. Because I think one of the, at least for me, one of the real healing things was once when you have suffered a loss, once you can start reaching out to others and help them, that is really, that shows you're on the way to recovery, I think. So for grandmama to be able to hold a child and sit there with that child on her lap and read the middle of this book, you know, and talk about their own personal loss. I think that is healing not only for the child, but it'll be healing for that person that has, you know, had the deepest loss. Yes. Well, your recap of the book says that there are three important themes. One, right, God right. loves you. Right. Love right. never ends. Right. And it's comfort to the brokenhearted. So that's yeah. the theme of your book. It is. It is. And another one's coming on out as um, they're designing it right now. It's called Precious Pilgrim, You've Got Mail. Wow. And it's 84 uh, letters, and there'll be about 25 illustrations by my dear friend, uh, Mary Barwick. And it kind of fleshes out in letter form uh, the period before the, this book and during this this book, and then after. I'm now getting ready to celebrate my 10th anniversary, married to a retired OBGYN, <laughs> and he's Docs, and I'm Goo Goo. <laughs> and life does continue in huge surprises, so I lived a very blessed life. I just turned 65, and I am canning 85 green beans. <laughs> oh, my. So I know it. he has a big garden. I didn't even know what a garden was, really. But anyway, life is full of surprises. Well, it sounds like you keep a very active life. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm blessed, I am. Uh, we've been visiting with Lucy Dunblunt, author of the book, I Love You Greater Than Space. Lucy, thank you for visiting with us today. Oh, I enjoyed it so much. Where can our listeners obtain your book? 
Well, it's um, authorhouse.com and from Amazon.com and uh, Barnes and Noble. And so it just came out, so any of those um, is available. Or if they would just go to my website, livingtreasure.org, and it will take you right to the book, too. So it even tells you um, it's got a little YouTube video that you can watch so you'll know more about it. And you can see my cowboy, Duncan McLeod, on that video, too. I saw that in the book itself, a photo. Right, right. Oh, and I did want to say something else that's very unique. In the back of the book, it includes, um, and I think very reasonably priced because it's included a CD, and I'm reading the whole book all the way through. Marvelous. And um, it has wonderful music of Rachmaninoff's romance in the background. Mm-hmm. But I think poetry of all the um, forms of literature, poetry really does um, need to be heard out loud. So um, I think to have the CD in the back is an added bonus. Well, that sounds uh, sounds marvelous. Again, we've been visiting with Lucy Dunblunt, author of the book, I Love You Greater Than Space, and uh, also she's a radio host and a poet. So be sure and pick up a copy of this book. I know it will be a great addition to your library. Thank you for sharing your insight. Thank you so much. Enjoy being with you. I look forward to hearing of other books in the near future. And for Author House Publications, this is J. Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you been laid off, fired, downsized, right-sized, or re-engineered out of a job? Are you unemployed or anticipate that possibility? Then tune in for Successfully Unemployed, hosted by Alan Sherwood, MBA, president of Sherwood Consulting Service. Successfully Unemployed will provide you a hope-filled and comprehensive approach to the job search process from an author who's experienced it all. Alan and his guests will cover all dimensions of a job search, physical tasks, mental attitude, emotional health, even one spiritual perspective. All must be integrated in order for a person to be successfully unemployed so they can then be successfully employed. This show is designed to help you move forward from job loss to finding or creating more fulfilling work. For more on Alan Sherwood, MBA, and the show, check out his website, SuccessfullyUnemployed.com. Then join us for Successfully Unemployed with Alan Sherwood, MBA. Thursday nights at 8, 7 Central here on Toginet.com. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings, this is J. Douglas Barker. Today on Author House, we'll be visiting with author Vernona Fath to discuss her book, A Local Pacific Piscatologist. Welcome, Vernona. 
Well, thank you. Well, this nice is an to be in- here. This is an interesting title. I don't think I've ever seen another book with that title. Tell me a little bit about this book. Uh, well, I haven't either, for that matter. Episcopologist, uh, I happened to hear the word over the radio this past year as a new word in our dictionary, which means fisherman and a person who studies fish. How did you come to write this book? What was your motivation to, to finally get the word out? Well, my motivation started in 1952, and uh, we had a, a big earthquake in Tehachapi, California, that affected us down in Orange County. But anyway, we noticed, my mother and I noticed the, the fish reacting very unusual at the pier, at Newport Pier. Mm-hmm. And uh, the minute that earthquake hit that day, well, it hit early enough that we decided, okay, the earthquake's over, we'll go fishing. So we did, and we did, it was the best fishing day we've probably ever had, because the fish were back to normal again. The earthquake had settled them down, and uh, so we took notice of that. And as far as that, that's the way the book really got started, because I paid attention to what was going on. And I had enough years already on the pier that I was beginning to pay attention. There are things that the fish do uh, for one reason or another and that, um, that I just added it to my uh, uh, diary. And when you when you say the fish do uh, unusual things, are, are you saying they kind of are alert to activities in in nature and uh, and what's about to take place? Oh yes, yes, we have noticed that over the years, especially earthquakes, of all things. Interesting. I don't know why. I have not got a reason why, unless there's a low frequency something in the water, of electricity or something. But anything that was on the bottom in the surf area would lift up and go out to deeper water just the uh, day, two, three days before an earthquake. And the little bait fish would stay on the very surface with their dorsal fins above the water. And it was very unusual to see it. People didn't know why. I did. I figured it out. And <laughs> it ended up very being very interesting. It didn't matter the fact we were going to have an earthquake. You could not tell where it was going to be, only to the fact that it would be felt there. And is it, as you get closer to the epicenter, do you see more activity or more uh, dramatic results uh, in in your observations? Well, if it's going to be stronger, yes. And what happens in that instance? Uh Uh-huh. It it just, there's more of the bait. I mean, if it's going to be a distance away, like even the San Francisco earthquake, showed a certain amount of um, reaction to the uh, bait fish in our area there, around our piers. Um, so, and I know it was felt here because people that were in the uh, tower buildings noticed this on, who were on the top floors. I, I'm not talking about the old 6 earthquake either. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I'm talking about the uh, most recent seven, there were uh, Loma Prieta, I guess they called it, earthquake. And, yes, it was felt here, but not by us on the ground, but it was felt by the fish. Now, are other so, people starting to study this uh, this phenomenon? No. No, they don't pay attention to it. Really? That's yeah. kind of an interesting observation you've made. Do you think, or who do you think this book's going to appeal to? Well, that, of course, the earthquake's only part of it. Okay. Um, everything else in it uh, probably would appeal to... Everybody, including children, 
to the oldest person. It uh, there's just so many different things that are in it, uh, having to do with pier fishing. That uh, it would it would catch the um, eye of just about everybody's age ages. So this is kind of your story of of your observations as a fisherman. Yes, okay. exactly. I kept a diary and uh, all those years, and uh, finally put it together. It took me a while, but it wasn't as complete in the earlier years. I concentrated more on well, the earthquakes as such, but there's other things besides earthquakes that happen down there. We've got whales come through. We have sharks come through. We have the various catches of fish, the various people that show up. It's just, you know, a lot of things are interesting if you pay attention. Absolutely. Now, what is the, in your estimation, the most interesting chapter or observation you made during your time of chronicling this? Mm, that's a good question. When you uh, say you've met some people. Did you meet any, what I would oh, call, yeah. well-known folks? Yeah, we had uh, attorneys, if you want to call them well-known. Um, we had attorneys. We had, this is in Newport Beach, we had uh, a uh, one particular a uh, movie actor, and another one was a stunt performer, hmm. and um, in the movies, an older guy, very much older, but he was a stunt man in the movies, and the other one had uh, TV shows and uh, movies and stuff like that. He was one of my group. Is that and right? And he has passed away. So I do have a chapter on the peer people, the ones that I knew real well. Now, do you mention him by name by any chance? I mentioned him by first name. By first name, okay. Would uh, someone who read your book maybe be able to figure it out? Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that, let me put it this way. Uh, the people that read my book, the first ones that will be reading my book would know him. Okay. But not everybody will. Yes. Now, do you have photos also accompanying your book? Yes, I do. Wonderful. Several pages of those, that are just a collection of them kind of put together on each page. So that's the other thing I did. I, I do the photography on the pier. Now, that came along because of the whales. Are, are they in color or black and white? Mine are in color. In the book, they're in black and white. Okay. Uh, what one thing would you like readers to take away from your book? What is the thing that you think will grab their attention? Um, well, there's probably uh, a lot of people walk out on the pier and say, oh, these fishermen, you know, there's not much to them. That's all they have to do and so forth. And uh, they may take home a mackerel. It's okay if they take home a mackerel to eat. If they like mackerel, mackerel can be good. But uh, there are other things to do. There are other things to see. There's things to learn. I'd like them to know there are things to learn. Believe me, there are a lot of things to learn. Otherwise, you never know what the next thing drifting by is going to be or swimming by. Now, in your activity as a, as a fisherman, I'm sure you've learned some special techniques. Is there anything that you would like to pass on? Uh, let me think about that for a minute. Uh, well, I myself, am, I target halibut. I'm a halibut fisherman, as the front of the book will attest to. <laughs> right. And I've caught thousands of them over the years. So there is, there is a, I have a chapter on catching halibut. And then I have a chapter on just catching uh, various fish. But um, each fish can be fun. Um, learn what you can. Look, Watch a person that's catching a fish and see what they're doing. Sometimes, you know, I'm, I may know a lot, 
over the years. But sometimes somebody may come along that knows something a little bit different that works. By any chance, did you include some recipes uh, for folks that love seafood? Oh, I did not. You did not. I don't have have any real good recipes for that. Let me ask you a question. How do you prepare a halibut? Well, um, I usually take the skin off of it, flay it, and then uh, skin it. And um, my favorite is in the frying pan, but they can be baked, broiled, boiled, you name it. There's almost any way you could fix a halibut. I have tried to smoke them. I don't like them smoked. I think it's a waste. Well, it's hard hard to roll them up in those cigarette papers, isn't it? Uh (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, this is more than just a fishing book. Yes, it is. What other stories do you tell I do a thing on equipment, which covers yesterday and today. Uh, dressing. Dressing was interesting because people didn't used to dress the way they do today. Hmm. Men wore suits really? and hats and ties to go fishing. Amazing. It was amazing. And the women wore dresses. And the women uh, didn't do much about it. My mother is, of course, who basically got me started in the fishing. Um, She started me fishing when I was quite little, and I was nine by the time I actually ended up fishing on the pier, but she'd been fishing there a couple years on her own at the pier and wearing a dress. And she discovered, you know, the wind, the Marilyn Monroe thing out there sometimes. Mm -hmm. So she decided there's one solution to that, she sewed sinkers in the hems of her dresses and kept her dresses down. How often do you go fishing? At least twice a week. Twice a week. Twice a week, um, yeah. Amazing. And more. If I've got a fishing buddy that usually goes down at least once a day, depending on morning, evening, or all day or whatever, and he usually calls me if anything good's going on so I can just go right down. What was the most challenging part of writing the book and uh, the most rewarding? Uh, well, of course, getting it published was the most rewarding, I suppose. Finishing it, period. But uh, challenging, uh, getting everything put together. Because, like I said, each chapter is different. Like I said, I've got a chapter on weather, a chapter on whales, catches, sharks, halibut habits, man versus woman. That was another problem I had because I was a woman. Most men do not accept a woman fisherman, at least not readily, until basically you just ignore them and do your thing. If it's right, eventually they know you know what you're doing. How many chapters do you have in this book? See, I have 23. And how many pages? It's not that awful long. I think it's 141, if I'm not mistaken. Around 141 pages. And this chronicles your experience as a fisherman for, what, how many years? Since 1952? Is that the the first incident that you comment on? No, I started out, actually, I started out when I was about five years old, uh, fishing the jetties, uh, our harbor entrance. Yes. And uh, my brothers and I, my twin brothers, are around, uh, were fishing opali with bamboo poles and linen lines. <laughs> and I don't, you may not know what an opali is. I do not. But it, it's not a, it's a perch-like fish, but it's not a perch. It's a migrant fish. But anyway, um, it's a wonderful fighting little fish. Some of them get real big, but not, not the way we were doing it. And uh, so we just, we really enjoyed it. And then later on when my mother started fishing the pier, Newport Pier, 
then she decided, okay, I'm going to take you guys down there. So she took us down there. My first day there, I caught a six-pound white sea bass, which nowadays would probably be illegal size-wise, but then it wasn't. And uh, it even broke my rod, which is a split bamboo at the time. And uh, but I remember catching it. How wonderful that feeling was! So, anyway, the men there—they uh, had already taught my mother. Well, they readily taught me as much as they could about how to catch a halibut. And of course, halibut was still a target fish for most people then, and because uh, it's an awfully good eating fish. If you were introducing this book to someone that didn't know you, didn't know anything about the word piscatologist, how would you describe your book? A uh, pure fisherman's, pure fisherman's what? <laughs> I guess something like that anyway, a pure fisherman and what happens? A female pure fisherman. There's a difference there. Very most good. People, most females, unfortunately, don't know a whole lot about fishing on a pier, but, or anywhere else for that matter. 37% of all the fishermen are females. Only 37%. 37%. And, uh-huh. you, and you're an avid fisherman. You still fish well, twice a week. I think you could say that, yes. Absolutely. Well, this, yeah. has, been, this has been interesting. I, I uh, look forward to getting a better look at your book and spending some time going through it. We have been visiting with Vernona Fath, the author of the book, A Local Pacific Piscatologist. And if you want to know what a piscatologist is, you can look it up in the dictionary now. But where can we obtain your book? Well, Author House, of course, and Amazon, and... Barnes and Noble. Excellent. Well, I appreciate your sharing your insight on the game of fishing, which sounds like a fascinating tale. We look forward to hearing maybe of other books in the future. Have you got something else in the works? Well, it's not a fishing book. <laughs> it's a story about old Anaheim. <laughs> well, listen, a book is a book. Book is a book. <laughs> We'd be delighted to hear from you again. Again, for Author House Publications, this is J. Douglas Barker. <laughs> 